Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring the Andrews sisters, Jack Webb in a Dragnet episode, and Stan Freeberg with one of his famous comedy sketches. The Andrews sisters have been popular for over a quarter of a century, and they're still going strong. Here they are in 1943 with one of their big hits, Pistol Packin' Mama. started in radio in the 40s, and his program about a private investigator entitled Pat Novak for Hire, broadcast from San Francisco, was very popular. But it wasn't until he moved to Hollywood and began his Dragnet series that he reached star status. Dragnet was on the radio for several years before moving to television, and now today, some 20 years since the first Dragnet program, it still continues to be broadcast. This is the city, Los Angeles, California. 
The people living and working here represent almost every culture common to civilized man. Most of them contribute something worthwhile to the community. There are those who take more than they give. They feed on the sorrows, ignorance, and superstitions of others. When they do, I go to work. I carry a badge. It was Tuesday, May 11th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of Fraud's Division, Bunko Section. The boss is Captain Lambert. My partner's Bill Gannon. My name's Friday. Well, how'd it go? Convicted on all counts. Sentencing is set for the 10th of next month. You know, Cap, it's hard to figure. What's that, Gannon? The way they keep trying. Last month, this Paul Norman tried to juice Lieutenant Arabian. Month before, that character from Florida tried. They just won't learn. You mean they won't believe? They really think every cop, prosecutor, or judge has a price. They've tried it here six times in the last ten months, and they've been busted or run out of town by their own people. Well, we all know the reason. The entire gypsy community is still in a state of flux. Since that king of theirs died last January, quite a few, like Norman, have proclaimed themselves king, but can't convince their people they're powerful enough to hold a position. And their kind of power is to convince the fortune tellers they have good contacts with the courts, prosecutors, or police. And in the gypsy culture, they have to show proof of these kinds of connections, or at least make the fortune tellers believe they have them. Joe and I have been going to their weddings, funerals, and pomonas, reading everything we can on gypsy culture. I got a note here to call a Dallas Andrews in San Francisco. Says to see you first. Yeah, she called this morning, wanted to talk to the gypsy crime team. Says she can supply information on gypsy bunkos. Wants you to call her back. Sounds like another one, doesn't it? That's how they start, play informant. And at the same time, try to make you theirs. I called Dallas Andrews in San Francisco. She indicated that she had valuable information regarding gypsy criminal activity in Los Angeles. She said she was flying down to Los Angeles the next day and wanted to meet. We set it at the Canyon Restaurant in Hollywood. Wednesday, May 12th, 12.30 p.m. Bill and I met Dallas Andrews as arranged. Prior to the meeting, we checked her through CII and found a record dating back to 1939 when she received a 60-day sentence for vagrancy. Since then, she'd been arrested for everything from operating a business without a license to grand theft bunco. All arrests were in San Francisco. A check with the San Francisco Police Department revealed that she owned and operated a fortune-telling parlor on Powell Street. She had been in business there for the past five years and was currently the subject of a grand theft investigation by the San Francisco Bunco Squad. She wasn't shy. She got right to the point. It's my son-in-law, Billy. Billy Catcher. His father called himself King of the Gypsies, didn't he? That's right, Wesley Catcher. But he's dead now, and it's Billy's right to take his place. You help Billy, and he helps you. Got the picture? Not quite. Paint a little more. Now, don't be naive. It's this simple. Billy collects rent from the readers, but they have to think he's taken care of. Interested? In what? Money and stature. You two look like the best cops in town. Billy controls the number of fortune-telling locations and keeps outsiders from coming in, and you take credit for keeping the readers under control. Now, look, we don't care how many gypsies hit town. They commit a crime, we arrest them. It's that simple. That simple? Oh, come on, Friday. How many gypsy bunkos do you have in your unsolved file? You mean if we recognize Billy Catcher as king, any time we get a complaint, you turn the reader over for prosecution? I mean, any time you get a beef, just let Billy know. He takes care of it from there. Keep going. If the reader hits a customer with complaints, Billy gets the money back from the reader and turns it over to you. Then you satisfy the customer. Customer's usually happy to get half their money back. Rest goes in your pocket. Looks like a two-way street. If some of the readers are holding out, Catcher finds out from us when we get a complaint, right? That's right. Billy finds out who's not kicking in on rent and gives him a fine along with getting the customer's money back. How many locations paying rent to Catcher now? Only six. 
The Sampson brothers have 58 paying like slot machines. What's their gig? Sampson's. Well, they got most of their readers believing they have the courts wrapped up and tied with a ribbon. How do they manage that? It's that lousy $25 fine for fortune telling. Well, that's no deterrent. The readers just chalk it up to the juice that the Sampson brothers tell them they have going with the courts. And no gypsy wants probation. She'd rather have the fine. Readers think the Sampsons are keeping them out of jail and off probation. You know the probation rap. Part of the deal is the court says they can't run the cards. Now, if they can't tell a fortune, they can't hustle a buck. So you want Billy Catcher to show the readers he has a better fix than the Sampson brothers, right? Now you get the picture. When Billy shows the readers, he can keep them from being busted. And they pay him rent. How do you figure to put the Sampsons down? We know where all their locations are. I got a list. I'll give it to you. Later. Go ahead. I got a list of our six locations. I'll also give you that later. When the readers see Billy's spots aren't getting busted, and the Samson boys' readers are, they'll start swinging over to us. We put the heat on the Samson's locations and leave your locations alone. All 64 of them, eventually. $200 a month rent and a piece of ever a big score. Now, does that make you want to dance? Well, let's put it this way, lady. Yes. We don't want to sit this one out. p.m. We dropped Dallas Andrews off at her motel and headed back to the office. She was anxious to get the business started. So were we. Four ten p.m. We gave the captain a rundown on the meeting we had with Dallas Andrews. He agreed she had made her first overture to bribery and to stay with it until we had enough to prosecute. There was another victim of the gypsy swindle waiting in the squad room. This is Faye Sager. This is our gypsy crime team. Sergeant Friday, Officer Gannon. Gypsy blessing. They got her for 15000 Mrs. Sager, these men will do what they can. Thank you, Captain. I'm so embarrassed about this. This gypsy woman, she was so convincing. Yes, ma'am, we understand. Now, will you tell us what happened? Well, it started a little over three months ago when my husband passed away. We were married 47 years. God rest his soul. Go ahead, ma'am. Well, I was reading the classifieds in the newspaper, and that's what got me started. How's that, ma'am? The ad, it said Mother Maria, spiritual reader, and I just thought she could help me. I was depressed and lonely. Yes, ma'am. I talked to her, Mother Maria, on the phone several times, and finally I drove out to her home. She assured me she could help me. Yes, ma'am. Now, what about this Mother Maria? Well, at first she was very helpful and understanding and made me feel so much better. That was at first. Do you want to tell us about the $15,000? That's what she said was my problem. That $15,000... It was from my husband's life insurance policy. Oh, Sergeant Friday, I'm so embarrassed. I, I just hope this doesn't get out. We know how you feel. Would you go ahead, please? Well, she said the money from the insurance policy has the evil that brought on all my problems and depression, you know? Yes, ma'am. Now, how'd you prove the evil, with an egg or a tomato? That was an egg. How did you know? Would you go ahead, please? This is the embarrassing part. I'm so ashamed of myself. Mother Maria told me to take all of my money out of the bank and keep it under my pillow. And she told me to take a fresh egg and place it on my stomach every night and sleep on the money. I hope you officers don't think I'm a silly old fool. It's happened to a lot of people. Now, how long did you keep this up? I slept with the egg and the money for two weeks. That's how long Mother Maria told me to. And I took the egg and the money back to her after the two weeks... I was very careful I didn't break the egg. Go ahead, please. 
Well, I got to her house and she took the egg and wrapped it in a handkerchief. Then she put it on the altar and chanted a blessing over it. A gypsy blessing, like the captain said. When the blessing was over, she put the egg and the handkerchief on the floor and told me to step on it. I did. And when she opened the handkerchief, there was something else in it besides the egg? Ah, yes. She said it was some of the evil drawn from my body. Well, she said the egg could only take a small part of the evil from my body and that the money is what caused it. The big evil, you know? Yes, ma'am. What'd she do with the money? She gave me this bag and we put all my money inside and she sewed it up with a big carpet needle, told me to put it in my closet for six months. That was to make all the evil go away. So I did it. That was two months ago. What made you open the bag, Mrs. Sager? Well, after two months of keeping the money in the closet, I really didn't feel much better. I was still kind of depressed. I tried to contact Mother Maria to ask her what I should do. I found out she'd moved away. So you opened the bag? Yes, sir. I cut stitching and opened it right up. I was going to put it all back in the bank. I'm just talking about it. It makes me want to cry. Go on, please. Newspaper. Nothing in it but cut-up newspaper. I feel so stupid I could just cry. What shall I do? Well, to start with, you'll have to sign this crime report. Yes, sir. We completed the grand theft crime report and had Mrs. Sager check the gypsy mug book for Mother Maria, the fortune teller that had stolen her $15,000. 5.32 p.m. It took Mrs. Faye Sager 45 minutes to find Mother Maria's mugshot in the gypsy book. Mother Maria, also known as Sister Felicia, Madame Zora, and her key name, Fatima Goldring. Thursday, May 13th, 8.30 a.m., we contacted Deputy District Attorney Bob Gray at the Hall of Justice, and we obtained a warrant charging grand theft for the arrest of Mother Maria. 9.47 a.m., we returned to Parker Center and filed the warrant in R&I. We then had the warrant information teletyped as an all-points bullet. We were aware that somewhere in the state, gypsies had been known to have received teletype information. 10.50 a.m., we returned to the office and brought the captain up to date. We then waited for the first call on the warrant sent out for the arrest of Mother Maria. We felt we wouldn't have to wait long. 11.10 a.m., Dallas Andrews called. She wanted to meet as soon as possible to introduce Billy Catcher and talk to us about the arrest warrant out for Mother Maria. Somewhere in the state of California, there was an information leak, and that leak had paid off. Dallas Andrews knew about the warrant ten minutes after it went out on the teletype wires. Sounded like it did good. Yeah, they want to meet Vermont and Washington. What is all that about the warrant for Mother Maria? She says she'd make it worth my while if I could fix it. They want to meet me alone. Okay, Joe, how much money you got? You know, that's the first time I'm glad it's not payday. This continuity of evidence thing kind of gets to be a hassle. 486. That's all you got? That's all. You better invite him to dinner. I should have his money. What's it cost to be a bachelor? Write it down, Bill. 486. Let's make it easy for him, Joe. They're not even trying to be careful. They already think I'm a pushover. Show them that bankroll of yours and they'll know it. 11.45 a.m. Bob Davis of the Electronics Section Scientific Investigation Division installed a special tape recorder and microphones in our vehicle. 12.05 p.m., I drove out to Vermont and Washington and picked up Dallas Andrews and Billy Catcher. We agreed to talk in a deserted parking area at the Greek Theater. Bill covered in the captain's car. 
For the next 45 minutes, Dallas Andrews and Billy Catcher laid out their plans in fine detail. I was to protect their fortune-telling locations and harass the others until we had full control of all fortune-telling and gypsy bunko operations in the city. For this, I was to receive $100 each month for each location. The meeting resulted in bribe money amounting to $11,000. The money clip contained $11,000 in $1,000 bills. 1,000 down payment for the operation, 10,000 to keep Mother Maria out of jail. We returned to Parker Center, removed the tape recording from our vehicle and headed up for the office. Friday, May 14th, 8.45 a.m. Officer Mike Lanzaroni, the Patrol Bureau Vice Coordinator, had arranged for 15 teams made up of male and female officers to operate fortune-telling locations contained on both lists furnished by Dallas Andrews. Because of a shortage in manpower, Bill was assigned with policewoman Jean Wesley. I was assigned with policewoman Dorothy Miller to operate the location at 1247 South Florence, Mother Maria's current location. 9.33 a.m., we arrived at the fortune teller's location. I provided policewoman Miller with a mugshot of Mother Maria. She was instructed to signal if Mother Maria was present. If she was not present, Dorothy Miller was to operate the gypsy for violation of section 4330 of the Los Angeles Municipal Code, fortune telling. She was then to give an alternate signal. minutes later, policewoman Miller came out of the location and gave the alternate signal. After booking the two fortune tellers at the county women's jail, Dorothy Miller and I returned to the office. Well, hello there, Sergeant. We told the captain here we don't talk to you. Oh, that's all right. You can talk in front of him. Oh, well, why didn't you tell us? You just asked me. That makes sense, Billy, but you should have told us before. We could have had things on the road by now instead of waiting for you. We've been trying to reach you all day, Friday. Call you three times. Is that so? What happened? What do you mean? Mother Maria. Did you know some knucklehead busted her? I knew. You sure it's safe to talk in front of him? Safe as you'll ever be. Well, what about Mother Maria? She's in jail. Who's the bonehead that ran her in? Me. What'd you do that for? She broke the law. Now, wait a minute. That wasn't our understanding. We gave you $11,000 to see that didn't happen, didn't we? That's right. A lot of our places got hit, too, along with Samson's. That's what we're doing here. Are you working some kind of new system? I mean, hitting the Samson's and us, too. No, it's an old system. Well, I wish you'd let us in on it. Be glad to. It's called attempting to bribe a police officer. You trying to make us look bad in front of the captain? And after we came in here of our own free will. I can promise you one thing. I wish you would. You're not going to walk out the same way. <laughs> The suspects were found guilty of offering a bribe to a police officer, a felony which is punishable by imprisonment in the state prison for not less than one, nor more than 14 years. Stan Freeberg has done many parodies of radio shows, but one of the funniest was his takeoff on the Dragnet program. Here's St. George and the Dragonette. legend you are about to hear is true. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record. This is the countryside. My name is St. George. I'm a knight. 
Saturday, July 10th, 8.05 p.m. I was working out of the castle on the night watch when a call came in from the chief. A dragon had been devouring maidens. Homicide. My job. Slay him. You call me, chief? Yeah, it's the dragon again. Devouring maidens. The king's daughter may be next. Mm-hmm. You got a lead? Uh, nothing much to go on. Said you take that 45 automatic into the lab to have him check on it? Yeah. You were right. I was right? Yeah. He was a gun. 8.22 p.m. I talked to one of the maidens who had almost been devoured. Could I talk to you, ma'am? Who are you? I'm St. George, ma'am. Homicide, ma'am. I want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. I understand you were almost devoured by the ma'am. Is that right, dragon? It was terrible. He breathed fire on me. He banged me already. How can I be sure of that, ma'am? Believe me, I got it straight from the dragon's mouth. 11.45 p.m. I rode over the King's Highway. I saw a man. Stopped to talk to him. Pardon me, sir. Could I talk to you for just a minute, sir? Sure, I don't mind. What do you do for a living? I'm a knave. Didn't they pick you up on a 903 last year for stealing tarts? Yeah. So what, do you want to make a federal case out of it? No, sir. We heard there was a dragon operating in this neighborhood. We just want to know if you've seen him. Sure, I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Could you describe him for me? What's to describe? You see one dragon, you've seen them all. Would you try and remember, sir, just for the record? We just want to get the facts, sir. Well, he was, you know, he had orange polka dots. Yes, sir. Purple feet, breathing fire and smoke. Mm-hmm. And one big bloodshot eye right in the middle of his forehead and, uh, like that. Notice anything unusual about him? No, he's just a run-the-mill dragon, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, you can go now. Hey, by the way, how are you going to catch him? I thought you'd never ask. A dragon net. 3.05 p.m. I was riding back into the courtyard to make my report to the lab. Then it happened. It was a dragon. Hey, I'm the fire-breathing dragon. You must be St. George, right? Yes, sir. I see you got one of them new 45 caliber swords. That's about the size of it. <laughs> you slay me. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. What do you mean? I'm taking it in a 502. You figure it out. What's the charge? Devouring maidens out of season. Out of season? You never pinned that rap on me? Do you hear me, cop? Yeah, I hear you. I got you in a 412, too. A 412? What's a 412? Overacting. Let's go. On September the 5th, the dragon was tried and convicted. His fire was put out and his maiden devouring license revoked. Maiden devouring out of season is punishable by a term of not less than 50 or more than 300 years. That concludes this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you back again next time for more great moments from radio programs of the past. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. <laughs> <laughs>